Lawyer Talk. Special guest series continues. Bring in all the good stuff, bring in all the good guests, bring in uh, folks around Columbus, folks around the country. Now our millions of listeners get to know Norm. Uh, Jared, you brought this man to the table. I did. I brought him in today. And uh, on our drive in, I almost had to put tape on his mouth because he was, or, or a recorder on, because he was telling a whole show there. Now, maybe Norm should just walk around with like a lavalier mic attached to him <laughs> and uh, he, he just, like, it'll just document him all the time. Well, we started talking, and then you're like, I got to hit record. We're going on there. This is Norm Murdoch, good friend of mine. Uh, met him in Johnstown. You were just saying, and I didn't, I didn't realize this. I, I met him when I opened the barbecue, mm-hmm. Route 62 barbecue out there. Yeah. Yep, and uh, you said you'd heard about it, and uh, you just absolutely. mentioned something to me that blew me away because they see you so much. Yeah, uh, well, I uh, hated barbecue, right? <laughs> because I had a lot of bad barbecue, and you changed that. So I used to say that to people. They're like a Brussels sprouts. Uh, I'd be like this. Don't, don't, don't blame me that your mom was a bad cook. Right? Yeah, he gave me <laughs> you that line. You know, you ha- you haven't had mine yet. No. Now, once you mind, if you don't like it, that's fine. Just give it a try. Have a bite. It was killer. Hey, my brother's here, Jace. Absolutely. He used to bring girlfriends over something to a party or something I'd have at, and they'd be looking at the food very strangely. And you'd always be like, just, just try it. Just try it. Just try it. And your turkey. Uh, I mean, that's what drew me in at first, because I was chicken to try the pork. But your turkey was, you know, smoked the, turkey. It was off the hook. It was off the hook. Off the, the hook. Yeah. Then you came in, you became a soup and a special guy. You right. liked all the specials. Right. Well, you, you hate seafood. I do. But <laughs> you, you make the best seafood chowder. Of all time, uh, lobster, lobster of the creek, lobster of the creek, and I don't know what other you put in there. Something called roux that you start off with, and then you start throwing in uh, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, this, crawfish that. and boom, there it yeah. is. You know, at first when I made this, I made it and it was it was crawfish chowder, mm. and I had it on the board because oh we had a, we had a we had a just you know chalk, chalk board that we put up there. Guys, incredible. Nobody, nobody was buying it, right? Well, I and, didn't and know I, that. And yeah. about a, Next day, I'd made a big batch of it. I said, erase that. I said, write up lobster of the creek soup. Boom, boom, boom. Like, lobster, lobster. And then once they found out, it's like, what do you mean it's crawfish? It's like, well, crawfish are like lobsters of the creek. Yeah. I mean, you ever see a crawdad? I said, it's a lobster of the creek. And, well, it's sold, sold. And, now, and I would do it during Lent. And your which, store. Which is what we're setting in right now. This is when I would make it. And your store was on a creek. It was. So, you know, it I just. Did, we would have people ask if we got them out of there. I think I asked you. Yeah, I, I'm, I am that dumb. We had them shipped in from Louisiana. Wheezy. Yeah, right. that's where it came from there. Right. And then Norm would come in. He liked the specials. And sometimes I'd be cooking up something different that wasn't on the menu. Right. And I'd see him come in. I'd be like, hey, you got your mind on something? Well, so, what I was trying to do was steal that uh, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson autographed picture off the wall. <laughs> I, I eyed that for several years. And. Brought a screwdriver in one time, thinking <laughs> that sucker's going home with me. And then Shorty said, that's just a, a replica. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a real. Crush me. Yeah, it was like a Xerox copy of a right. real deal. And then, we bought it from Amazon for like two ninety nine. But then you had, uh, what, Mickey Dolans or somebody now from the Monkees. He now that was store. That was a real autograph there, uh, at, but a, it was too high for me. A, a limousine pulled in, and we were like, who just pulled in a limousine? And then he was sitting there eating, and they were like, isn't that Dolan from the Monkees? Really, this happened? And, no, yeah, oh. it happened. And then, he uh, was still driving. Someone was driving around in a limo. Yeah, still? He, yeah. he was yeah. singing a show yeah. up in uh, up at Canyon College, hmm. and, uh, and and down in Newark and also. There was a, the he, theater. Theater. That's what, what it, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he showed up there. He took pictures, and and I remember we had a really cute girl that was working at the counter, and 
he was like, oh, Hotel Room 103. He just got hit on by a monkey. Like, it was pretty cool. And yeah. she had no idea who the monkeys were. Of course not. Because yeah. I mean, no, he was probably 70 yeah. at this yeah. time. Yeah. You know? she, she was yeah. like... And so on that, you know, we built a relationship, right? And you like, you like cars, you like motorcycles. Well, I was trying to steer the conversation away from me and onto autographed pictures. This this is, you are the special guest. Oh God, God. So then we started started talking politics, Steve. Yeah. And uh, then I found out that he is a, has a, you have a lot of information, you really do, and you well, kept me updated. Yeah, and then we'd run into each other at the produce section at Kroger's in Johnstown, sure. and next thing you know, it's like I a half hour help. later. Help me, Jerry, because especially during election time, right? And I've had a lot of calls, right. and you had we were you know we weren't always on total the same no. saw the same way. No, you were you 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 were way ahead of me. I I I stuck with um, I stuck with the Republican Party out of loyalty. My dad was. Uh, he almost ran for governor one time till Governor Rhodes jumped back in. But uh, so I was raised Republican and uh, out, of, out of inertia, like a lot of people, you know, if their families are Democrat or whatever they are, they the kids tend to be that until they find themselves. It took me a while to find myself. But um, I didn't realize I, I didn't realize how thoroughly bought out the Republican Party is by what I call the country clubbers. So it took me a long time, and you were way ahead of that, Jared. You were like, take a look at Rand Paul, take a look at, you know, later on with Trump, take a look at basically people who are going to bust up the hard sod, you know, and plow some new field here. And uh, no, you were you were right. My brother Patrick was right. You know, a lot of people saw that really we have one party government, essentially, that we can talk later about the gas tax and any number of issues, but basically the two parties now are just arguing about the size of the increase or the size of a program. They're not any longer discussing whether or not a program, a war, a tax, or whatever the topic is, is a good or bad idea. Um, You know, take the wall. Uh, you know, they're not discussing whether or not walls are really a good idea. If the Democrats really thought they were immoral, they'd be calling for the existing walls to be torn down. But they're not. So um, it's all about the size of the program. The Republicans want less of it. The Democrats usually want more of it. So we have single party government. And you educated me in the aisles of Kroger <laughs> about that. But we would talk more and more, and you'd come in, and then it, it, it kind of became a thing between us. Right. Is that we would always discuss where we're at, latest news, yeah. who we were, sure. you know, thought should right. do what, and right. made some calls. Should I buy, you know, this kind of beef or that kind of beef? What kind of cheese? Yeah. <laughs> you you held my hand. Well, I prefer to hold Shorty's hand, actually. But, you, yeah, you, you guys... Uh, taught me a lot so well let me let me let me ask you well so you your dad was uh, you said he almost ran for governor yeah and uh i don't know if you've disclosed yes but i, I will or yet but i will he was a federal judge uh, no, uh, no he's a county judge or county judge. yeah common okay. please common please judge yeah okay. hamilton county in hamilton county yeah and did you grow up down in hamilton county oh yeah yeah delhi township West i got side. you yeah pete um, rose pete rose territory did you do you know pete uh, actually, I've met Peace several times. Don't he wouldn't know me, but uh, as a kid, yeah, a lot. Um, he did a lot in the community. Uh, he he was always a supporter of my dad's. Um, very active. Uh, you know, Pete would be on the reelection stationery, and you know, um, 
No, it, it, Pete was uh, very, very active in Cincinnati and charities and all kinds of things. And his wife tended bar down on the corner. And uh, they were a fairly normal family. I mean, back then, even in the big red machine days, these guys weren't making multi-millions. Yeah, it was a different, it was a different era. Yeah. Yeah. I think Johnny Bench at the, at the, at the apex was making like 200,000 a year. I just saw this ad. It probably came across Facebook or something, but it was a picture of Pete arms in front of him diving straight at the camera into probably third base. Yeah. Um, just judging by the angle of the picture. Yeah. What a ball player, man. Oh. I mean, oh my. I mean, it's like you, you just don't see that yeah. anymore. How I mean, can he not be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. yeah. And, gambling aside, but we've digressed a bit. Yeah. Um, it, did, well, you, did you follow your dad's footsteps? Obviously, uh, no. the law was in your family <clears throat> in some way. No, no. Um, what, what took me out? was uh, one night uh, the NIMBY crowd that doesn't want, you know, halfway homes for uh, mentally retarded or uh, developmentally disabled uh, people to be mainstreamed into communities. They, 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 I guess, you know, the nice people, your suburban people, want everybody to be um, put into basically ghettos, you know, like you, you would have like an area of town and I guess they expected all of the people with Down syndrome or whatever to live in one part of town, like in a, in a neighborhood. And I guess, I don't know, would you put a barbed wire fence around them? But anyway, my dad as a county commissioner was taking a vote um, and Bob Taft chickened out, by the way. But my dad was taking, a, 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 was a president of the um, commissioners and they were having a vote about locating one of these county homes in a nice suburb, okay? The NIMBY people just lost their shit. They just, no way. We're not going to have retarded people in our neighborhood. We don't care that they're not criminals, that they're not violent, that, you know, whatever. That's going to lower our property values. Uh, our kids are going to get scared. We don't want them there. And so we started receiving death threats. My dad... We well, meaning your family. My family. Yeah. The phone started ringing. My dad was old school. Our phone number was always listed. It was yeah. always in the white pages. Anybody could call us. Hey, we got a sewer backed up. We get calls any time of day or night. My dad was truly a public servant. Great, great man. Anyway, started to get death threats. So... <laughs> I grab my Kmart 22 rifle and start playing, start playing, you know, hey, uh, teenager Norm's going to defend the family up there. And I sat up all night, you know, in my little parapet, you know, waiting to see if anybody was going to attack. But there was a, a Hamilton County Sheriff parked in our driveway all night. Um, you know, my dad obviously took uh, the intelligence steps. But um, no, I decided no to answer your question, Steve. I wasn't going to enter politics because of the personal destruction I was seeing happen to my father. And, and you've, you've sort of equated, or maybe you didn't, I don't want to put words in your, yeah. in your mouth here, but, uh, you know, I asked you, are you going to follow, did you follow in his footsteps? Like he was a judge and then you talked about county commissioner, but then you said, I didn't want to go into politics. It's interesting to sort of classify, do you, do you think the judicial role that your dad had was sort of a pseudo political role? Do you, uh, sure. Yeah. As okay. you know, you yeah. have to run for common police judge. Yep. Yeah. So it's a partisan thing. Uh, they make little trade-offs like I'm sure they do in Franklin County where the Democratic Party and the Republican Party get together and say, well, we won't run a guy against you for this if you won't run a, you know, hmm. an opposition candidate yeah, for that. Yeah, they cut you deals know. all the time. They cut yeah. deals all the time. So in my dad's case, they didn't do that. 
Now, what's interesting, I, I just had this conversation with somebody, and it, it really was, it, it was sort of along the lines of what we're talking about, politics and the judicial branch and cutting deals, because I think there's a notion that if I'm a Democrat and I'm going to go, so I'm going to go vote and I find out it's a Republican judge, I need to vote against that individual. And maybe the opposite is also true. Well, that's a Democrat. I got to vote against that individual as a Republican. And it's always bothered me a little bit in our Ohio system anyway, that that goes on because even though they don't necessarily publicize the political affiliation, it's not hard to find. And, you know, right now in Franklin County is very difficult for a Republican judge to get elected. And it, it, what I've found is most folks really don't have a really, uh, I guess, a realistic understanding of what makes a good judge. And it, I'm here to tell everybody it is not your political party right. no. or your affiliation. And, you know, we have um, we have a situation, say, where uh, a, a federal judge gets appointed from, this happened out in Lincoln County, right, Judge Frost. Phenomenal judge, right, absolutely phenomenal judge. And if somebody were sort of gauging his effectiveness on the federal bench by his affiliation with a party, whether it's Republican or Democrat, I'm not even going to go into it, but uh, it, they would they couldn't be more mistaken, right? It, it was just so, say he's a Republican judge that came out of Licking County, people are going to look at that and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to, and if that, say he got the nod to go higher up and there were all these challenges and everything else, sort of like what happened with Kavanaugh. And then, as you know, you probably followed some of the history of the the uh, attempts by the Republican Party to pack the court with different conservative judges who might support their position, it couldn't have backfired more for years and years and years and years because uh, your affiliation as a Republican or a Democrat is not necessarily indicative of how somebody would be when it comes down to solid constitutional jurisprudence or, or anything else on the bench for that matter. So for sure, that's uh, it's fascinating to me that we will see hands going up and protest over a judge because that judge happened to come from a Republican county. Uh, when in fact, anybody who practices law with that judge may have a completely different or not even care about that because for sure. maybe he's just a, or she is just a great jurisprudent or follows jurisprudence and, and is a scholar. So Right, right. There's a lot of stereotyping about what conservatives are, yeah. what, what liberals are. And usually those stereotypes may have a kernel of truth. But when you flesh out a human being, it, it, it's vastly different. My dad, for example... Had the Cincinnati police bring in um, uh, a Vietnam veteran who had been uh, shoplifting. Um, and what he was shoplifting was bread. He was at a grocery store and he's sticking buns and bagels and whatever. Okay. And they had got him two or three times. And um, finally they had enough. So they brought him in and, you know, trumped it up to where it wasn't a municipal case. Now it's a common police case. So whatever the threshold amount is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so Dad uh, basically uh, said uh, to the prosecutor, uh, I want to know more about this guy's military record. Went through that, found out he was a combat veteran, not Vietnam era, but actually saw combat and, um, and took care of it along humanitarian lines yeah. and told the police, uh, told the prosecutor, we're, we're, we're not going to convict this guy. We're, we're going to institutionalize him into a program. And, you know, um, don't ever bring me a case like this again. Don't bring, don't bring a veteran into my court with a combat record who's homeless mm-hmm. and is stealing food to survive. And, and that is, you know, that, uh, 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 now we have 
veterans courts and there's some more recognition of that because I think that's become popular, um, not in a bad way, but in a good way or become more mainstream and people are wise to it. But, you know, maybe in your dad's era, there, there's a whole generation of us who are, uh, I don't mean us because my, and it didn't happen to me, but a lot, a lot of folks our age were raised by World War II or you, there's that in their right. grandfathers or their fathers or whatever. And it's, um, right. it becomes a... Uh, they, they shut down, right? Nobody ever addressed it. Nobody talked about it. Sure. It was a rug swept problem. And uh, we probably had lots of sort of functional walking alcoholics and people with all sorts of PTSD issues and mental health issues. And, uh, you know, having done criminal defense now for the better part of 25 years, uh, I have found most people are good. Most people yeah. are good. Sure. A lot of people have mental health issues for whatever reason, either by genetics or by whatever they've had to experience in the world or both. And uh, there's almost always an explanation for what brought somebody to court. It doesn't excuse behavior, and we're still, you know, we still walk with responsibilities. But it sounds like your dad was ahead of his game on that one. Yeah, yeah. He, he you know, he, he was tough when he had to be, but um, he, he thought the law should have some mercy in it for people that, um, you know, were somehow, um, you know, got the raw end. Now, you had also mentioned to me that he wasn't he the first graduating cadet or from, he, he was uh, he was the first Cincinnati police cadet uh, when they started their program. He worked, he interned for the FBI. Got a he 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 did something, and J. Edgar Hoover wrote him a personal note, you know, an attaboy note, hmm. which, <laughs> which which Dad, you know, he thoroughly enjoyed whipping I'm, that thing out. I'm sure know. he's that. Yeah. Do, do you still have this note? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's in our family papers. It is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. That's that's that's. But the cool, the, the cool thing, the cool thing about that generation of politicians is I'll never forget coming up to Columbus. So I grew up in Cincinnati. I'll never forget coming up here. The Democrats and the Republicans in the House would play each other in softball games. Right. And there was a collegiality there. They got along. The value system was basically very similar. Right. You know, we love our country. You know, we love our state government. Yeah, they wanted a few bells and whistles. They didn't want to go full commie, you know, at that point, <laughs> the Democrats, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like that. So what they wanted was, you know, protection for the union jobs, things like that. And the Republicans were like uh, they wanted to vote no on everything. You know, some of the more hardcore ones because they'd read the Ohio Constitution and say, well, that's not in the Constitution. I'm a vote. No. If you want us to approve that program, change the Constitution. So you have these kinds of philosophical arguments instead of now what DeWine wants, uh, you know, he wants an 18 cent gas tax hike. And the Democrats are saying, you know, gee, that's not enough because we want more for transit. And uh, the Republican House is saying, well, we want uh, just 10, 10 cents, 10 point whatever, seven cents. Um, so almost 11 cents is what the House just passed. And so they're arguing about the size of programs instead of whether or not you ought to have the program. It's almost like the ideology behind it is just is shifted from just that to identity or. Yes. Or right. uh, or pandering to I, pandering right. may not be the right word, but say uh, yeah. playing to your to your cause yeah. base. And, uh, you know, I, to say you're a Republican or a Democrat, I think, is far different than to say you're conservative or sure. not conservative or you're sure. liberal or not liberal yeah. uh, or even left. Right. That's got its own connotation. Now, sure. if you're coming from the left. People are that's people are going to look at that differently. Liberal. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Dare anybody say you're Republican because then the identity coming or the label coming back at you now is racist or you're racist. Right. Um, What's going on right now is really sad, really bad. Uh, it, it that well, for example, I ran for um, UC student uh, president for the for University of Cincinnati. I, I I lost the race, but I got okay. So I'm I'm a little dark. I'm not African American. I'm not black. Um, I'm a little dark, so I have some Arabic uh, heritage on my dad's side. I thought we had a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those Lebanese are dangerous. Yeah. So I went to, um, I went and got the endorsement of the Black Student Association. Um, you know, uh, I, I, we had a big discussion. All the other candidates went through there. There were uh, women, there were guys like me, whatever. And uh, we, um, we made our presentation. And uh, the Black Student uh, association at that time at UC was um, comfortable supporting, you know, a Caucasian guy to represent black students. It was not an issue. And no, why would it be, right? right. So, yeah. Well, nobody even thought like that. But now it's a thing, right, that the only people who can represent women are women. Only people that can re represent um, Latinos are Latinos. The only people who can understand or that can empathize or care about black people or other black people. And that is so destructive. And that is the, that is the modus that we're in right now. It's just, to me, I don't know how we hold our country together. It's, it's very disturbing. You made friends. I'm sure I made friends all through college, uh, that are of all different kind of races. Yes. Right. And, yep. and both genders. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not yeah. the 17 that are on Facebook. But yeah. at any rate, this is all I'm saying. It's uh, my background is, yeah, OK, I, w I grew up in a conservative household, but I love people. Well, hold on a second. Let me check you on that, because yeah. you said a couple things that would uh, that seem on on their face somewhat inconsistent. Your sure. dad was a county commissioner. Oh, he was inconsistent. You're right. And he is I mean, and I don't mean in I don't mean in a bad way, but it's sort of an ironic way because oh, yeah. you you would identify your dad as a Republican with a conservative upbringing. Yeah. And uh but he yeah, was he, voting he, to have uh, he, he, housing paid for by the government in the in Dude, the dude, my dad areas. my dad was contradictory. Or in suburban areas. My dad uh sponsored legislation for the uh Black Lung uh trust fund for uh our Appalachian Ohio miners. Okay, so he started that program. He he sponsored the legislation and got the uh, Black Lung Program for Ohio, that uh, you know um, addressed the the medical needs of of those folks. He did a similar thing for the firefighters. Okay, so yeah, Dad created some social programs. Yeah, and even the vets court. I mean, early some sure. early uh, machination of a veterans court by just basically saying. Right. I don't care. I'm throwing my weight around as a judge on this one. Don't right. bring this crap to me again, yeah, you yeah, know, and yeah. because it's not right. Yeah. And and it's ironic that those concepts now, uh, nobody would even get that far to explore it. If you're identifying as a Republican, you're bad. Right. If you're the other side and vice right. versa, if you're right. coming from this side. Mm -hmm. So it's right. like, it, you know, it's, it's such an interesting, I, I agree with you, I guess, this is my way of saying I agree, is that it has become less about uh, somebody's individual values and their beliefs and more <laughs> about what they call themselves. Tribal. We've gone yeah. tribal, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, we're going to identify, uh, with other people based on what they look like. I mean, this is, to me, it's monstrous. It's like, we've gone back a hundred years. 
and maybe even before, right? I mean, it's like, it, it seems like it, it, it really has gone sideways, uh, almost, uh, there's cut, we're cutting off our heads. You yeah. know, it's like, it, yeah. it, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. But yeah. I got to ask, man, how do you know, what got you into all this? I mean, you, you, you're obviously, you have, I, there was stuff, conversations we had off the record, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that have, have obviously, you have tipped your hand that you have read a lot, studied a lot, and you're interested a lot in various topics. And yeah. we talked all the way back to the founding fathers. We talked some other history. We talked politics. I mean, what yeah. gives, man? Yeah, well, you know, I moved to Columbus. Um, uh, I got out of law school, registered to take the bar. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and well, like, uh, yeah, family, well, I was an English major with a journalism uh, minor at UC. They didn't have a journalism uh, uh, degree. So I got the next best thing that they had. Had some wonderful professors and uh, called up the Cincinnati Enquirer and said, um, gosh, what do you start journalists at? Yeah, it's like 15,000 bucks. Okay, <laughs> this, this is in the mid 80s. And I'm like, you know, gosh, I can't even pay like a mortgage. I, I, could, I couldn't do much of anything with that. So, uh, gosh, what do I do now? Really stupid. I should have been an engineer or whatever. And, uh, well, my dad's an attorney, has a law office. I guess I'll go to law school. Maybe I can become a Supreme Court reporter. I never wanted to practice law. So I got out, registered for the bar, um, have never taken it. So maybe I should go do that someday. But, uh, you know, it's been a while. Uh, but I got, I got up here on a sales job in, during the big datacom boom. Yep. of the mid 80s when everybody needed you needed help you need like a professional and i'm not talking about micro center or a radio shack kind of help but you needed like you needed real technical specialists to set up a network yeah so a bank that's gonna have a an atm system like old mainframe stuff that's yeah. right yeah. so it's all going it's coming um, back right yeah right it's coming back because they don't trust anybody um, so basically that's what I did for a few years. And then, um, I became, I decided I wanted to use that law degree. So I became a lobbyist, uh, and I represented, uh, several different organizations and founded a couple myself and, and, and did the lobbying thing for a while. Nine eleven hit and I had to bail out of lobbying because most of my, um, uh, clientele were somehow involved in either marketing or transportation or something that took a big hit on 9-11. Well, let me mm. back you up, because I, I, I want to talk a lot about lobbying, but before I get there, I'd like sure. to talk to you about your thoughts on law school. You know, I, I obviously am a lawyer. My dad was a law professor. He has done oh, many, boy. many things. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> I had to learn evidence at the, at the dinner table when I was in third grade. Right. So that's like the, you know, it's like I, I got my, I remember getting in trouble early on with uh, the neighborhood kids or sure. these gals that live or these girls that lived next door. We had done something and they accused my brother and me of something nefarious, whatever it was. And, and you uh, were like fruit of the poisonous tree. Right. Well, <laughs> no, 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 my dad, my dad, I'll never, I'll never forget it. We went over to her house and uh, the, the, and we had to have a trial and my dad conducted this trial. Moot court. Witnesses were called. <laughs> witnesses. I were think called. I was convicted, if I'm not mistaken. But witnesses were called, and uh, and so I I was sort of uh, it was I was stuck. But I have a similar upbringing, right? I, I I didn't know what to do. My history degree in 1992 was really worth uh, nothing. Nothing right. because there was a recession. You couldn't even teach with that degree. Nope. 
Couldn't even teach at that time. You yeah, had to have I couldn't teach in, English with yeah. an English um, degree. No, yep. you had yeah. to have your box checked to have some higher degree to even go into yeah. teaching. I yeah. didn't. I wouldn't even know where to begin for that. So, uh, I guess I'll start applying to law school. Einstein could not teach math at a grade school, yeah. right? Because he doesn't have a teaching certificate. Right. You know, a teaching degree, which is absurd. You know. So we have all kinds of educated people. You would have been a great history teacher. You, you are teaching history here, Steve. So, you know, it, 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 that's where alternative certification to go off on a little tangent here. But that is where the teacher industry, the education industry really needs to loosen its tie. Yeah, it, it does. Think of all of the expertise out there. Well, it's funny because in law, I mean, I'm going to go sideways again. You know, there's, there, there are some things in a courtroom that require expert opinions. Right. And, you know, somehow we have drawn a, a sort of a, a invisible line there that the judge has to decide. But no, this is complicated enough that we should have an expert come in. Now, what's interesting is that we have actually, in our rules about that, have baked into it uh, exactly what you're talking about, right? It's good enough for a courtroom to say, you don't have to have credentials. Is that you? You're, you're disturbing. I tell you <laughs> no, but in a courtroom, we can say, all right, you don't have to have a bunch of letters and certifications after your name in order to be an expert. You could be qualified as an expert by experience and by what you've done in the world. Yeah. And our, it's, it's ironic that our, our legal system will permit that, but our education system won't. Yeah, it's, it's, it's whacked out. It really is. You know, you, got, you, you, have, you have people that maybe are retired. Maybe, you know, t take a guy like, uh, I don't know, you know, Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. You know, when he retired... Um, why couldn't he go into, uh, you know, Westerville North uh, High School and, and teach a little class on accounting or something? I mean, I mean, my goodness. Why I mean, shouldn't he, right? Exactly. 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 I, would, I would want that class. I mean, it's bizarre to me that, that we just do not. Dave Thomas impresses me, just so you know. I look up to him. I, I look up to Dave oh, Thomas. he's an incredible he's, guy. He's an incredible guy. Right. And, and what he did for yeah. Colonel Sanders. Right. You know what I mean? To what, where he rose himself up. I've, yeah. I've watched. An orphan. Oh, it was. I mean, his story's incredible. His story is, is outstanding, and I've met him a number of times. Wow. Whenever I was working with private clubs here in, in town. That's cool. He was at the Lakes. He was at New Albany. He would come in. That's cool. And uh, very generous man. Right. Very generous man. He right. would he would tip the, the car. I mean, a hundred dollar bill for right. an apple. Th think of all the guys. Wow. Think of all the men and women we have, you know, in our community. And think what the schools could be, you know, and if they weren't the monopoly that they are. Yeah, so, it's ironic. Anyway, I'm and that's sorry. Gonna, you know, that, gonna, we can get a lot. Of, we were driving in here. They're building the new condos there. And he's like, oh, that was our old uh, armory depot, right? So just said, yeah, yeah. The and Civil War, uh, Ohio, you know, yeah. used to muster on those grounds. But then he says to me, he's like, look at those buildings. Looks like communism Poland. And I've been to communist Poland. <laughs> and I'm like. I, well, I've seen the residue <laughs> from the communist system in Poland. And, you know, basically every, you know, every ninth building out of 10 looks identical. Well, see, I, I, they're I, just I, I, couldn't I be more drab. Yeah. I, I didn't get into it with him, but he started talking about. He's like, "I've been to communist Poland." I was like, yeah. "I never knew you've been to Poland." Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. you're like, "Oh yeah." So there's there's a hole. Well, me, yeah, yeah, we got a lot to do here. So, but, <laughs> well, know. we can talk about my trip, uh, my aborted trip to Mongolia from London, England, and back, and some of those stories are unbelievable. Have you ever had an AK pointed at your head in the middle of a small town outside of Kursk, Russia? 
I have probably not. not. I have but, not. But but you can tell oh, that story. I'm, I'm very lucky. I have had that experience. So it sounds and, like yeah. That was the like Rus- Russian justice system. We can get into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me before we do. Let me ask you about this. You finished law school. Do you, what do you? I'm curious what your opinion is on the value of your law degree, because I think, you know, my dad used to say this to me all the time. It is the best education you can get. It is awesome. Right. It is one of these educations that teaches you how to learn for the rest of your life. You can do anything. And he used to, he used to be sort of arrogant about it. Almost like, look, I'm a lawyer. Yeah. I can probably do what you're doing. Not as well. Right. Admittedly. Right. 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 But you can't do what I'm doing. And it was almost sort of this arrogance about it. And some of that was because that's what he was, but some of, or is, but some of that is, there's some truth to it that, you know, we're sort of taught to be, uh, I guess, open to anything, being able to observe anything, being able to assess any situation and at least know what we don't know and help and try to figure out what we need to know. Know where to go get the answers. Know where, or, and who to hire and what to do and solve problems, really, which is yeah. what it is. I think the loss, the, the legal degree has changed in a lot of ways, almost, almost to something that it shouldn't be, uh, or not like that anymore, yeah. or at least the thought of it is. And now... Uh, I've heard from a human resources person that if if they're looking at a potential applicant, say in a corporate world, yeah, and uh, the applicant has a law degree and for some reason does not practice law, that is a huge red flag, hmm. and they are they are blacklisted hmm. or thrown into the bad pile. You know. Well, let me tell you about that. So the commencement speaker at my uh, law school graduation was one of my dad's classmates. He had also attended UC Law School. So this particular lady, the commencement speaker, finished number two at the bottom. Mm, She was the second worst GPA law student. And they brought her back as commencement speaker. She had not practiced a day of law in her life. And she rolled out the following. She she was head of, I don't know, I'm going to mess this up. Like one of the, she was from New York City. Uh, She was the CEO of one of the uh, cosmetic companies. Um, one of the mm-hmm. big ones, Maybelline, Red, you know, Revlon, I don't know, one of them. Anyway, she gave um, a talk, and she was happy to see my dad, and they hugged and all that. And her talk was that, statistically speaking, the majority now of people graduating from law school will never practice law, that mm-hmm. they're there for some other reason. Um, and I ran into people doing uh, midlife career changes. People who had already had a career and now in their 40s or 50s were going to go back and get a, a legal education. So I'll tell you what, for business use, for, for things like what I did, lobbying, for just knowing, you know, how the shit works, right? Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot It has a to lot it. of value. It, it, law school opened up my eyes to exactly that. I, and I even, it's, it's ironic even, and I don't, it's not about somebody's uh, intelligence, there's nothing about intelligence or otherwise, but I didn't know, I'll just use me as an example, I didn't understand uh, even the difference between the criminal system and the civil system when I started law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew they existed and I heard like, I'm going to sue that guy or Mm -hmm. he's, it's like, even that was sort of mysterious to me. Mm -hmm. And, And certainly understanding the difference between a right, a constitutional right and a right, everybody'd say, oh, I got free speech. And to understand that that only means that the government can't stop your speech. Right. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you can't stop my speech if I'm working for you. I mean, right. even just to understand that stuff is sort of eye-opening. And 
and you can used correctly or understood correctly. Uh, I think I agree with you. It's, it's a very versatile education to have. Well, the scary part of that profession, like a lot of people, like you know, if you talk to welders, you talk to a lot of a lot of blue collar guys and and gals. They'll they'll tell you that uh, their biggest fear is the robotization of um, the economy, and I think that's probably a, a real danger with the legal profession is uh, AI. Um, you know, there, there's uh, the black letter law, if you will, you know, just put the factors into a computer and uh, out comes the justice without an advocate, but just crunching it up. You know, this is the, you know, here's the evidence. We found X number of ounces in the back seat and it has fingerprints here. And this, and so instead of going to Anderson's, you know, and doing all the updates and finding what a court decided yesterday, it'll just be AI doing it all. And out comes the the result, and uh, I guess away you go. See, that scares the crap out of judge, me. Yeah, right. <laughs> judge, judge Dread, right? Yeah, judge Dread. You yeah. know, we. I look at my job. I had this conversation with a with a client this morning, where I, I, what we do is operating within a certain framework in a very creative way. It is uh, an understanding of what the rules or what the guidelines are. And in, in our system right now, there's a lot of latitude to advocate within that and uh, sort of like your dad did with the Veterans Court and to really make a difference. And, um, you know, now my philosophy on criminal defense is not just do just check boxes and look up the law and say, all right, here's what it is. Yeah. It is to help people solve their problems. And, and when I, the day I started shifting into that realm, uh, it changed everything for me. Sure. Where now I'm not just doing you're not you're not hiring me just to do legal stuff. Right. I'm helping you fix your problem. Well, in fact, in your creating law, yeah. right? It, it, every decision yeah. amalgamates previous decisions and creates precedent and, and actually becomes every decision in a way, uh, e you know, it, it, it's an accretion kind of system. And as you know, um, though you're making law as much as the legislature makes laws. Yeah, and and for those who really care, you can go all the way back mm -hmm. to Henry the First and Henry the Second, and you know really learn all the, all the history of that. Yeah. But no, there's there there was a lot to that, and uh, it, it, I agree that in some ways political agendas are getting in the way of that process. They are. Uh, I, I start to hear more and more and more, almost to the point where it makes me want to give up at times. I start to hear the word policy. <laughs> right. It is our policy. Yeah. That we don't do this. It is our policy. Yeah. Even though we could, it's our policy. And you not can't to. penetrate the policy. Yeah. It's just the wall that's unbreachable. Yep. Stop right there. We're not going to talk about the policy. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. I have I have a term, I, I have a saying for that. I'm not going to use it here. <laughs> but when I hear policy, I really think something else, right? So it's our, right. yeah. it, it, no. But it, it, the law degree, I guess, going back to that, it, it sounds like that gave you the platform to do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you know, started my own little company, and Jared mentioned that I race cars. So I tried. Uh, well, like when the Columbus 500 was in, uh, you know, the, the IMSA race was in Columbus, and we, I say we, because I got to drive in that race, but uh, we we raced around downtown Columbus. Isn't yeah. that amazing? I guess like oh, dude. there was a there was an indie car race in downtown Columbus was in crazy. my yeah. lifetime. That, that was, was that was when we first yeah. moved here. It was yeah. insanity. It was it was because, because yeah. my dad was a helic, uh, a medevac yeah. pilot. So how that how that happened? And I, how, you raced they, in it? Well, there uh, the founder of Red Roof Ends, a fellow named Jim Truman. Uh, Red Roof Ends being headquartered at one time in Hilliard. I I think they've been purchased since, but. Uh, 
Anyway, it was a family-owned company. Jim Truman owned uh, Mid-Ohio uh, Racecourse, mm-hmm. and he owned the Red Roof Inn, you know, business, the hotel chain. So he, uh, many, many cities for public develop, for, for basically development reasons, were getting these live two to three hour ESPN um, infomercials uh, broadcast uh, on nationally on cable. And he saw the potential to do a couple of things. First of all, he liked to race cars. You know, he owned Bobby Ray Hall's IndyCar team, uh, True Sports. And um, so Jim was a lifetime uh, race car enthusiast, owner, driver, uh, and his son later on uh, dabbled in it too. Was, was a good driver as well as his father. At any rate, he thought um, a way to raise Columbus's profile, like St. Petersburg, Florida, or Long Beach, California, or Monaco, or you know, pick a, pick a major city, Dallas had a race, Las Vegas. He thought one of the ways we could promote Columbus would be to have live from Columbus, which has no professional you know, Major League Baseball and no football and, you know, other than the Bucks and uh, one, one of the ways, and there was no hockey team then, so no major sports other than the university. And he thought, well, let's get Columbus on the map. And for, what was it, three years, three great years, um, we had this live IMSA race broadcast. If they canceled a baseball game or something because of weather, they went to Columbus live. And in the final year, Columbus's race was on ESPN back when there was no ESPN 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Yeah, this was the, it was yeah. the ESPN, and we were live for two hours. The skyline of Columbus, bright, sunny day. The next year, city council wouldn't pop for, I think it was like 40000 some some small <laughs> amount of money that they needed to pop to cover police security. Isn't that crazy? And then the race went to some other city. It, it, it's remarkable to me that in our lifetime, this city had open wheel indie racing. Well, it wasn't. It was, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't indie. Just, just oh, it's all right. No, I'm wrong, right. no, 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 no. Damn, no, I'm wrong. No, no, no. It was it. It was IMSA racing, which is top tier. It's it, it, the IMSA cars are like what they race at Le Mans. Oh, okay. So it is world. It was world class. It was every bit as important as IndyCar. I got you. Yeah, it's just it had fenders instead of open wheels. I got you. The mm-hmm. same stuff. So how does it, it? How does it that you get involved in that? <laughs> well, I was in. I mean, the, it's a natural extension from your law degree. I don't want to throw yeah. too easy of a question. <laughs> yeah. Well, lawyers like to you know they like to jockey for position. So. No, what I what I was doing was amateur racing up at Mid Ohio and Road Road America and Road Atlanta and Watkins Glen and all that stuff. So I was just like, um, you know, it was my sport. Like guys like softball, so that's what I did. Or they like hockey, so I was doing that kind of stuff. And what you'd win is a little plastic trophy, and you, you weren't you weren't a professional. So some local guys in Columbus said, "Hey, this guy's pretty good." I, I won my championship a couple of years and. They uh, sucked me in to this pro team that they started, um, and um, it was at the lower echelons. It wasn't the big show. It was one of the supporting races. But dude, you know, I'm one of those I'm one of those grown up street racers that now knows street racing is incredibly ignorant, completely stupid. Will get you thrown in jail, maybe to, into prison, and you know you can kill people, hurt people. So after 
really racing, I got the idea that, you know, the only safe way is on a track under controls with doctors and helicopters and all that standing by. But can you imagine for a guy like me that used to rat race around the hills of Cincinnati in his in his old beat up GTO? I was going to ask you what you have a GTO. Oh what, yeah, what year? Yeah. Uh, sixty five and and then a sixty nine Judge. Yeah, was it a true Judge? Oh yeah, I still have it. You still have it? Yeah, it's a basket case, but I still have. Well, everything if I, it, is it this original four <laughs> hundred? It's a four hundred Ram Air four. Original 400 Ram Air 4. Right. Yeah, that's far from a basket. It doesn't yeah. matter what condition that car is in. See, I have a 68 GTO. Oh. A convertible. Oh, cool. And uh, Oh, here we go. Yeah, we'll talk cars some of that. Okay. It's, uh, no, no, no. That Your car is far from a basket case. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> well, so, you know, you, I mean, just imagine the mind trip it was for this little guy who just moved to Columbus, just started doing all this stuff, and I'm going down Front Street flat out. And the police are keeping people back so I can do this. <laughs> I mean, it was just like I'm going by offices where I'm lobbying, you know, right? And I'm wanting to wave to, you know, hi, uh, hi State Board of Education. Tuesday. <laughs> You're having lunch up there and I'm down here, you know, hauling ass right through the middle of town. It's awesome. Uh, well, let's, that's a nice transition to lobbying. Um, uh, lobbyists... It, you know, I've never quite understood exactly how all that works. Uh, I, I've worked with lobbyists before in cases I've worked, or there's been lobbyists uh, involved in cases I've worked on. Uh, and I, all I've ever known about lobbyists is they just get a lot of money every month and then go do what they do. And, yeah, uh, I'm not I'm, one of those. I'm sure, there is a, I'm sure there is a different story. Yeah, yeah. So, right. So, you know, I decided to do my own thing. Um, my dad had set up a couple of uh, uh, bus companies and trucking companies with uh, as a lawyer set them up with their ICC permits and um and got them authority to to run a route it used to be until deregulation if you wanted to operate a private bus company let's say you wanted to do charter work take you know um grandma's uh you know from the senior center out to Branson Missouri or whatever you had to have some kind of a route okay is that you, to see Jared and his family back in those days <laughs> There you go, brother. Right, that yeah. was the pick. You had to have some kind of a route to get authority. To bring the Q-tips in. To bring, well. The I'll Q-tips. Let, they got, they got, yeah, they got yeah. white shoes and white hair. They look like Q-tips mm-hmm. walking down the road. Uh, dude, I, I'm going to let you run with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, I know what you're saying. And they are they are the constituency in large part for these uh, tours, the, the senior tours. So you're spot on. And so anyway, um my dad set up some of those kind of guys and and, and um, they were looking to equalize the funding for state um, reimbursement for school busing. Some of these guys were contractors and it used to be the state of Ohio would pay, I'll make up a figure, but it was very disproportionate. It was something along these lines. They would pay, say, $500 a year per pupil if, say, the city of Columbus, per pupil for the city of Columbus to uh, run its own busing system, they would only pay like 250 roughly half, if you contracted out the service, which makes hmm. no sense. Yeah. A school district then would be incentivized to do the least cost-efficient thing, you know, uh, run its own system. So now they have to buy the rolling stock, they have to train the drivers, they have to have the insurance. They have to have the dispatchers. 
they have to have all of these specialists that know how to handle handicapped children, how to, you know, tether them down, give them whatever they need, and then, you know, monitor everything and all the complexities that you can only imagine. Uh, I mean, who would want to be a school bus driver? It's like being a policeman. I, I can't imagine. So at any rate, um, so some systems were getting just wholesale ripped off by the state if they contracted out. And it was also keeping other systems from doing the efficient thing by paying two different rates. So what we wanted to do with our legislation was equalize. You got the same amount of money from the state of Ohio, and we did change the law. So that was my first lobbying effort was to to organize that. Now, and, did you just wake up one day and say, all right, I'm going to lobby for this, and this will be the no, platform to start my business? Or no, was it, no. uh, As I mentioned, my dad had set up some of these guys in business with their legal credentials to be able to operate in the state of Ohio because you needed authority. As for, lobbyists? Or as, no, as, as drivers. As, as, as an attorney, my dad would get them PUCO authority. No, I got you. But yeah. as a lobby, but th that was to run the buses and stuff. That was for them to establish their companies. And then they said to my dad, we need to change these laws uh, on school reimbursement. Right. And he's like, well, I got a son up in Columbus. He's got a law degree. You know, he's goofing around with modems and multiplexers <laughs> and all this datacom stuff. And a 69 GTO jet yeah. <laughs> in his so, garage. you know. What, interview him if he's, you know, if you think he can do it, um, you know, hire him. So they did, and, you know, that kind of launched my, you know, so I got out of the datacom thing, went and did that instead. Wow. And I represented, just to give you an idea, represented, uh, there's a school treasurers and business managers association for the 800 different school districts we have, which is ridiculous. Why do we have 800 school districts? Um you know, as opposed to Florida that has like 40, but uh, Ohio has 800 school districts. Um, so I've represented those, uh, those professionals, represented the drug addiction counselor uh, people, and got a um, state board established to license drug addiction counselors and alcoholism counselors. There was no board to do that. So I've, I've been involved. I represented the Highway Users Federation which was funded by the big three car companies. And then when their business started to uh, flag, they gave up on that. And uh, the national uh, organization was uh, shut down, but, but not before I had some nice arguments with Senator Moynihan. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. What was that? Did you have a, others working with you or did it, was it just you? No. It was always no. you. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a one man show, including what I do now and including, you know, my whole career. Uh, I've been uh, self-employed. What, uh, so the lobbying at some point, obviously you've shifted gears. What, what was the, what was the impetus for that? Yeah. The nine 11 thing, you know, it took out the bus business, the tourism business. I mean, when you crash four airplanes, right. And then there were some stabbings on Greyhound buses by uh, terrorists. And there was just, there was some bad stuff that all happened around nine 11 and people decided to cancel wholesale. The industry changed fundamentally and wholesale, um, it just the convention and visitor bureaus and and state uh, travel agencies that used to um, uh, coordinate these kinds of things, they all had their budget slashed. And so um, my association kind of rolled up its business and we we dried up and blew away. You know, we had achieved a lot of uh, legislative success, but 
now we were in, you know, just, you know, we can't survive. Before we get to the uh, the next phase here, what uh, I'm just curious, why the law about busing? What was the what was the politic behind that when the the government was given 500 versus 250? What was uh... yeah? So a lot of people think what that was, and 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 I subscribe to this is, you know, when you when you have a, your own little kingdom, okay, so there's a whole infrastructure in a school district to do its own janitorial, to do its own uh, food service to do its own busing, right? Those become little kingdoms, fiefdoms that, you know, and they, and they circle the wagons, they protect that, and they would contend, how could a private vendor like ARA Food or Laidlaw Bus or uh, Waste Management or whoever, how could they possibly come in and do our job as conscientiously and as uh, efficiently as we do it? You know, because they're going to have, they have profit motives. So they're going to cut corners. They're going to do something. Well, there's, I mean, there, we can go into all the reasons why a monopoly is inefficient, but basically. Well, particularly a government one. Right? Yes, <laughs> right. exactly. And I always say to people, you know, if I passed a law that said you could only shop at Giant Eagle or uh, Kroger or Walmart or wherever for your groceries, you, you, you can only go to one store. You would be outraged by that, right? Yeah. You'd be, but yet people are so complacent that, you know, there's one source for public education, you know, and that's kind of what drove. You're whole, trying to talk about healthcare, aren't you? Well, a lot of, <laughs> lot of good. <laughs> lot, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got a brother who works for the VA as a doctor and he says, hey, baby, you want to see what uh, government run healthcare looks like? Check out what I do every day. You know, I've heard it put this way. It's like if a, if a private business is failing, it either goes bankrupt and fails completely, uh, and then maybe is uh, reborn like the phoenix in a different way, yeah. or uh, somebody else comes over and learns from those lessons and does it differently and or better until For it sure. works. For sure. When a government-run uh, business fails, the answer is usually, let's just spend more government money on the same thing and keep banging away because it must be that we need more. Right? Uh, hence the gas tax hike. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, he, he's ready to get in the gas. Yeah, there you go. But you're, you, you got no, no, some no. good. You, you're, 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 you need, needs to get out. Yeah. Yeah, let him know. Yeah. What's that? On the gas tax. Oh, the gas tax. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, you, yeah, you're ready to talk gas tax? All right, let's talk gas tax. Well, no, I just, I love the subject because it's emblematic of government waste. No, I, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I think that when whenever we have, it's funny how now, we have people willing to double, triple, and quadruple down on some of the stuff that it sounds like we sort of figured out back in the 80s or even, even before. It's like this, this wasn't working. Remember the, the phone monopolies or the, all that right. stuff? It's like we busted up all that stuff exactly. that, was, uh, that was getting support from the government because it was inefficient. Yeah. And it was expensive and it didn't work really well. Yeah. It, it, was, it, it was unworkable. But uh, now somehow it will be different. Having defeated socialism around the world, Yes. Uh, in the Cold War. Yes. Now we're we're going to be our enemy. You know, <laughs> it's, a, mm. it, it's 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 like the race thing. It's we are going backwards. We're, we're going backwards in race relations. We're going backwards in economic theory. Um, it's it's just I. Well, you seem to be pretty well read, educated. And, and I think more important, you, you think about stuff a lot. Absolutely. What's yeah. your thought? Why? I put you on the spot. But yeah. I, I'm, it, well, I don't think um, the current couple of generations 
um, are getting truthful education. And I think it, that's where it starts. I think the parents are, are largely parking the kids in front of entertainment systems. And I think that's been going on for 20, 30 years, all the way back to Nintendo's, although it wasn't nearly as, um, it wasn't as addictive back then as it is now yeah. for these kids. You know, I was mentioning Jared on the ride in. You, you go to a restaurant, you see grown couples now not talking to each other, assume a husband and wife or people out on a hot date. And what they're doing is the guy and the girl are both looking at their phone mm -hmm. the entire dinner and not yeah. talking. And you wonder, what in the world have we come to where this device that we're all sucked into has now, um, has now distracted us from true education and true communication? We're all balkanized. We're all, we're all, the kids especially are being completely mistreated. They don't know the basic history of our country. They don't know the reason things are the way that they have been up to now. And they just want to blow it up because some celebrity says or tweets or whatever that it's not cool. Yeah. You know, we got to save everybody from the third world and bring them here. When the logical thing is, if America is so great, which I believe it is, if it's such, if it's such a great place to come, if they all want to come here, well, there's a couple of ways to do that, right? One way is to bring the billions of people around the world to America, and then we just turn into Calcutta, and yeah. we just we just we just turn into, you know, one big giant. Um, struggle for resources and space and America will no longer be America. Or if if the American idea is so great everybody wants to come here, hey Guatemala, um, or or hey, you know, uh, Angola or wherever, why not have America come over there and show you how you can be America? In other words, you can be you can be great. You have resources. Look at Venezuela. I mean, swimming in oil, I mean, could have, they could go back to their standard of living basically anytime they want to, but they, they're trashing their country yeah. because of socialism. From within. Right. From within. All, all self-inflicted. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to follow that path. It's outrageous. It, it's, it's scary stuff. Uh, you know, you were talking about screens. There's a book that uh, it was recommended to me, and I've just read the preface so far, but it's, it's called Glow Kids. And, and it's about the the idea is you see all these kids now sort of with their faces glowing from the screens that are that are six inches from them. Wow! And it is uh, I've talked to a a, a, um, a psychologist about this who works with children, and he was telling me it is now becoming known to the rest of the world that screens are as addictive as an opiate or as caffeine or as alcohol or anything else. It, in other words, in the same way that our brain receptors change to those other things, it also changes to screens. And, and these kids are learning, uh, their brains are changing from this stuff. Wow. And, you know, his indictment of, the, of, the, of our country on that is that, like, in other countries, um, they, they recognize this and they're changing. Like, they, they, there's, a, there's limits on it. Yet in America, we're giving them to kids. It's like, wow. my kids now have screens given to them at school. Wow. Given to them. Yeah. iPads, 
MacBook. I mean, like, like it's a textbook. Like it's a textbook. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I get it. It's really nice to, for them to be able to just log on and get their homework assignments. Right. Um, and then there's some equality aspect to it, I suppose, where if a wealthy family could afford to buy their own and the poor family couldn't. Sure. So we'll just give them to the kids sure. so they all have them. Right. And, and again, like a, another, in my estimation, another failed government effort to do something good because I don't have any problems with that concept in general. Yeah. It has resulted in something bad. We have now our entire generation of kids, mine included, who are just absolutely 100% dependent on a screen. <clears throat> To yeah. the point where I watch, I watch it happen. Uh, they can't even get in the car without pulling out a screen and right. staring mm-hmm. at it. Right. And I, I, I had this thought the other day. I spent, <clears throat> it, like we all did probably here, a really good part of my childhood staring out the car window. Right. Driving around the country. Right. Even if it's <clears throat> just going to the store. But we drove across the country uh, several times. And I don't know what I learned by staring out the window, but probably Slug a bug. lot. Yeah. You know, I probably, and I, there's, uh, how many times do we ask our parents, hey, dad, what's that? And I'm looking at like a silo or something. Or right. what's that? Oh, mm-hmm. that's such and such. Or what's that? You, you, you point out sure, a building. Sure, you would play card games too, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, card then, games or whatever. <clears throat> yeah. The next person to see a uh, yellow did, Corvette. Yeah. We, a farm yeah, equipment. alphabet game. Or, or yeah. far, anytime we drove by farm equipment, <clears throat> my dad or saw something in a barn, he'd be like, oh, you know, your uncle none and I had a right. combine just like that i remember right. i remember getting it from a night we towed the 1952 buick and oh you know i mean just that you're right though i we, we would ask questions like that and me and my little brother here and sister once because uh, we were born in the ozark southern missouri yeah our family's from north dakota okay so once every summer we'd have to drive the 40-hour drive well, i don't know if it's 40 hours it's about <laughs> it's close to it and yeah and yeah. they would just rotate drivers we never stopped yeah so the sun Couldn't would come up, it. it would go down, right. it would come up, and it would go down. That's what I remember, because we'd always start in the morning, you'd watch the sun rise, watch it set, rise and set before right. you get mm-hmm. there. And we would. You'd ask questions, and we'd stop. Sure. Right. And you're interacting with the world in a way that I think is uh, sort of getting at what you're talking about here, Norm, which is like yeah. th- that interaction <clears throat> is what we are depriving uh, generations behind us of having. And that- well, kid, kids are having their nighttime stories read to them by uh, Alexa. Yeah. I mean, what's, you know, yeah. what mom, mom and dad are too busy to what they, they won't put down their laptop to go into their precious child's room and read, you know, Charlotte's Web. What is wrong with people? You yeah. know, what, 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 you know, what do you get out of parenthood if it isn't reading a nighttime story to your kids? No, exactly. You're exactly I mean, right. I mean, you're exactly right. It's, it's unbelievable. You're going to turn that on and that is going to be the, the sweetest part of the evening for your child is to have this this cone with a speaker in it yap to your kid, you know. Yeah. Wow. So you can do what? So you can do what? I, I've right. said it before. That a lot of and, and teenagers, 20s, I, I do believe they're robbing themselves of a lot. Sure. By the lack of real communication. <clears throat> like you were saying, they're just texting each other. And so much can be misread in a text. Mm-hmm. Like right. exactly what, you know, what, what was the tone? Mm-hmm. You, you, the the tone and the talking and mm-hmm. and just the communication is it gets so limited right whenever you, that's that's the style of your communication well we were talking can you imagine i cannot imagine asking when i was a teenager you know I was so uptight about asking a girl to the prom or yeah. any kind of thing i mean you know it was the big drama moment that i would think about it for days oh i want to call up sheila but my God, she, you know, she, she doesn't know me from an insect, you know, whatever. Can you imagine texting, you know, your, your 
you know, the the girl you got the hots for. It's not even as good as the note, <laughs> right, that you passed along with the check boxes. It's not even, at least, no, no, at least no, no. that you had to write no. something, right? No, but yeah. you, yes, no, maybe. Write something, right? <laughs> you want to know, does that no from Sheila or that yes, what was it about, right? So you say, dear Sheila, you know, your text, Sheila, want to go to the prom? And she just texts back, um, no, Norm. And you don't know, is that... Like, Sheila's disappointed because Bobby beat you to it, and she's going with a dude she doesn't like. You know, all you know is this is two, it, two words. No, Norm. No, is it? no, Norm. Yeah. No freaking way. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Never call back. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I don't know. For me, like, the, the whole trip about hum, human interaction except for work, so I got my laptop here, but I'm doing email to customers. The whole thing is about personal life, about what your your family life and your friends is to me the thrill, especially of women, is to listen to, you know, somebody you're interested in, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever it is. Hopefully you don't have a wife and a girlfriend. But um well if you do, keep it a secret. <laughs> but <laughs> I've never been down that road. But uh I, I could only manage one at a time. But uh, I can't imagine going without that beautiful, sweet sound of a human female on the other line of a phone instead of a text. And I don't, I don't, we're losing our humanity. We're becoming robotized. No, we are. And I think I've heard somebody else talk about this where if you couple that with this notion that uh, we're given, you know, the second, the proverbial second, third, fourth, fifth, everybody gets the same trophy. Everybody gets the yeah, same. Everybody right. gets the same. Yeah. We are giving stuff away to our children. And by doing that, depriving them of the experiences that they would have gained by getting it themselves. Steve, and, and let, the, let, let me flip the interview just for 30 seconds and then we'll trade a story. All right. Tell me your, tell me, give me a little 30 second thing. Your, your, your proudest moment along the lines of what we're talking about in, in imparting some some sort of value system to your chi- your kids give me give me a 30 second snippet of something that you're really proud of some incident something they did where you went yes i taught that kid well all right i got to think about that okay i'll do mine then you do yours okay cuz i sprung that on you okay and uh, maybe mine will trigger a similar thing so you were talking about these uh, participation trophies so my son Matthew uh, was in the Johnstown Youth League soccer, okay? And I think this is fourth, fifth grade. They lost. They literally lost every game. They lost every match, okay? But, you know, they had fun, but they lost everything. So he, was, he, he got a trophy, right? His coach is passing out trophies. We get home. He has a long face. Dad why did I get a trophy? And I said, Matthew, think of it this way. They were telling you that you did a good job, even though you lost every game. And he said, but dad, we stank. (laughs) And he, he walked over to the garbage can. Now this is a fifth grade, fourth or fifth grader, walked over the garbage can with his brand new gleaming trophy, about six inches high. I mean, I would have been happy to have it on my shelf, right? Ran, walked over to the garbage can, stretched out his arm, and it, and, and just let it go, right in the garbage, and then walked back to his room. Didn't say a word. Didn't want. Wasn't asking for approval. And I was just. I rolled around on the floor and went, yes. 
Yeah, you oh, got yeah. it. You have you have arrived. You, uh, you, you you've done your job. Yeah, all those Here's the Boy question, Scout though. meetings and everything. How did you, how did you impart <laughs> that off. wisdom? Right? How did you impart that wisdom? I mean, it, it's hard. You probably can't even pinpoint one thing. Well, yeah, I can't put you right. It's a milieu you create. It's an atmosphere you create in your family that um, you're not going to be false. Yeah. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be true. You're going to, you're going to have reality in your family. So like, you know, when you succeed, we're going to celebrate. When you fail, we're going to gather around you and help you overcome and teach you. And, you know, if you want to move on to a different sport, if you want to do something else career-wise or study a different subject because you're just not good at that, we'll let you bail out. You know, we'll let you find your center of excellence. But what we're not going to do is construct a fable or a fairy tale about, you know, everybody's good at everything. Yeah. You know, accept your failures. No, learn from your failures. I don't know. Back to your question to me. I don't know that I can pinpoint one thing like that, but I will. Uh, there's, uh, here's what I am the most proud of. Um, I'll tell you, there's one story. I remember my son, he was just going to start uh, peewee football. Okay. And um, as, a, as any parents will sort of understand this type of thing, he's got to go out and we got there and there's other kids sort of assembled out on the green, so to speak. And um, I guess for whatever reason, my kids practice pants were gray and they should have been white. Mm. All right. Yeah. So here we are. But, it, but as parents, we know it's just doesn't make any difference, but everybody else is wearing white. He's got gray and he's having this freak out moment. And, uh, I don't want to go. He said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Now these are these moments as a parent that you just want to hold your kid and say, it's all right. You don't have to, yeah. you know, you just don't have to. Um, and, you just got to make a decision. This, this is a, there's a couple moments like this in my, as a dad that have, that have impacted me. And I just thought to myself, no, you, it's like, this is going to suck. I'm thinking to myself, this is going to suck. He's getting out of the car and I am driving away. And that is it. This is going to suck. And he got, I forced him out in tears mm -hmm. and I drove away. I just didn't go far. Yeah, but I right. I drove away. Look around to, the corner. Yeah, he had to go walk onto that football field and deal <clears throat> with that problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since then, I can't say that life has been great for him. But I know that he has dealt with incremental problems like that <coughs> without any issues. Yeah, you know, and he has he has been able to do that, handle adversity, and handle that kind of adversity at that level. And and the fact that he did that uh, and got through it. Uh, really, really had, um, I've watched them sort of grow uh, doing things like that. And I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm bragging a little bit to myself maybe that um, it takes a personal choice as a parent to do that. Yes. And it is not the easy thing to do. No. The, the easy thing to do would be give him the trophy and take him home, right? Yeah, coddle him. Yeah. And, you know, uh, tell him that, oh, no, you're not a failure. You lost every game, but winning doesn't matter. Yeah. And we all know. Winning is, you know, what do you have? Winning is everything. Winning is everything. Yeah. <laughs> what are you kidding me? Well, understanding that you can't always win is everything, yeah, right? That right. really is the lesson, right? Understanding exactly. that you can't always win is everything. Right. And if you don't get it, you don't get it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that. Right. Um, but I've had a few moments like that where my, you know, the other thing that I've seen uh, recently, my son, it took some prodding, but, you know, they've been doing their own, they're 12 and 14. They okay. both do their own laundry. They do their own, you know, they do it all. That's and, outstanding. And it's been going on for four or five years now. Wow. 
And uh, one day we had, it was whatever it was, closet cleaning day, right? So you yeah. can imagine how that goes over. Like it would have been my childhood. What a right. bunch of crap. My closet's fine. Blah, blah, blah. I know you got to clean it. Let's go shopping for trousers. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So uh, he comes up and, and watching his face, he goes, I was like, you ready? And he goes, yeah, I'm ready. We go up and, and watching his, watching how proud he was that he had cleaned up his entire room, cleaned his closet, organized and done it all. And I and believe me, I am not an organized person either. So I'm somewhat of a hypocrite in this regard. But yeah. uh, he had to do that, um, did it did it well and was proud of it, both my sons. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, no matter what I have given them as far as stuff, mm -hmm. video games or, mm -hmm. or access to all this other crap, sure, this is a better gift, right? They, right. they, they have been able to do that in the, in the lesson afterwards. They're like, I, cause I asked him, I said, you guys feel good about that? And they're like, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were pissed at me, Yeah, but I could, they felt good about yeah. it. And I said, well, just think you can have this whenever you want. You can feel good about it. You can feel this good whenever you want. All you got to do is do something. Yeah, that is proof that children really do, in spite of their what they say, they like boundaries. They like uh, they like there to be they like there to be limits. They and, do, and yeah. they like organization. And and when it's just chaos, and when there's no boundaries, you know. And I found that out being the big brother of of, of five other siblings and being a Boy Scout leader and you know lots of things you you find these kinds of things out as you as you deal with uh, boys in, in my case mainly with boys is that they say they don't want to be controlled and they rebel against it but they really derive comfort they really they really like structure they, and, they, and yeah. that's the your boys grabbed onto that yeah that at the end of the day their little atmosphere in that bedroom is now there's order to it, right? It's not chaos anymore. And and actually their brain is more restful when they walk into that kind I'm of sure environment. Sure, it feels more like it's theirs as well. Yeah. Because they, I mean, even though it's just, it's, they didn't, they're building something. Right. They were building their own area. And they, they were, own it. And, and yes, they, they, own they it. did it. Yeah. There's, there's not, I mean, that is a great feeling when you accomplish a goal, whenever you finish a project, <clears throat> whenever you Big time. get done. Right. I, I came in and showed uh, Steve Pitchers that work with my dad. And I was, 15 years old, I bought a 1979 Jeep CJ5, mm. and we restored it, and it was struggles, and it went through. But I'll tell you, the day that we were done, boy, the day that we were done, I mean, I can, I, I, I can recreate that feeling of success. And that right there <clears throat> makes you strive to do more. Sure. From yeah. cleaning yeah. to building to do things like that. If you were never put in that situation, and you were never, I mean, I remember one time I was mad. And I was, I was frustrated with some, I was taking it apart and I had to walk outside the shop and I was like, this is broken and this, and I was just complaining. And he says to me, he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll pay, I'll buy it from you. I'll give you all the money that you got in it right now and I'll finish it. Defeat. And I remember I just walked outside, I came back in, I didn't say anything to him. I just went right back to work. Yeah. Multiple reasons. He would have finished it, and it would have been badass. And he would have been like, brab, brab, hey, check it out. <laughs> and he would have been like, nope, 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 yeah. nope, get away, get away. Yeah. But he was like, you know, yeah, it's easy. You want to walk away from this? Right. I'll give you the money. You've lost nothing. You go yeah. ahead and walk away. Right, be a quitter. Go ahead and quit. Right. Sure. I, yeah. I'm not going to hold it against you. Right. But then you, you, you then, then once, you know, you're, you, you get back into it, right. and you finish the job. Right. And, boy, am I glad that I didn't walk away. Yeah. Now, now, the, the problem is the balance, I think, as a parent, I see this, and I, and I think this is somewhat metaphorical to what's going on right now in our world, is that uh, our kids do need some sort of, they need structure, 
Um, but what they really need are sort of invisible safety nets in a way that lets them learn incrementally to deal with all this adversity that's going to come with them. So when they get the F in, in college, it's not going to result in a suicide, right? And that's right. not an exaggeration. That crap is going on right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And uh, to have that kind of, to provide that kind of environment, uh, all I have to really do is look at what happened to me, right? It's like, I, I don't think my parents even thought about that. It's like, it's, no. it wasn't even thought about at that no. time no. because it was just, I was like, I didn't go to my parents on Saturday morning in the summer and say, what can we do now? Yeah. Right. I just left. Right. And, right. and you know, I just, I went out to the world, well, which was safe. And so, I mean, it was safe in a way, but yeah. I look at crap what we were doing and it wasn't always exactly safe. But I don't know how you guys, uh, how your moms were, but if we were in the house on the weekend, like uh, a non-school day, if we were just like lounging around, Hey. I think I'll, I think I'll take in uh, I think I'll take in Hogan's Heroes and uh, you know uh, you know some other kind of you know Mayberry RFD no 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 no, no. or I'll watch cartoons no, all no, no no no, no, no. Yeah. and never say I'm bored yeah uh, don't you ever, will not be bored for long oh, Dad's well, like this no. got good news for no, you go on that news come on. Oh. See that pile of wood you. over there? Yeah. I don't need you to move it over to here. Let me clean up you. underneath it. Right. And then move the pile of wood back. Oh. And your right. boredom will be gone. Oh yeah. <laughs> we got the we got out of the house oh. early in the morning and didn't come back till dinner time. Even it, growing up when we lived at home at a young age, the only excuse that we would have for not doing work was if we were getting paid to do work somewhere yeah. else. Right. That was the excuse. Yeah. That was that was the only one that you could get out of. Yeah. I gotta work. Okay. Yeah. If you were around the house. That and homework. And that sleep. was it. Yeah. That was it. No. Now, the trick is, though, I think, as, as a parent, is that you can't be an asshole. Uh, and what I mean by that is you can't just say, all right, you guys do all the work, and they don't see us do any work. No. And I've seen parents do that sure. crap. I saw. Right. I, I watched some guy one time at where I was and uh, at this. Uh, it, it, what was going on was sort of irrelevant, but I, I watched him sort of boss his daughter around and his, and his uh, maybe the two daughters around and just say, do this, do that. And here he was just sitting there drinking. And I just thought, man, I'm about to kick this guy's ass. I yeah, mean, it, it, yeah. it was like he was just being a jerk. No, um, that's not leadership. It is so, not. To this day, yeah. my dad overworks me. Yeah. I, I mean, to, to, to this day. To, and, the, to this day. They, and yeah, that's they, saying yeah, he was Because you work. Yeah, no. That yeah. is saying something. Yeah. My, my father will probably always outwork me. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, he is. He, yeah. he's, he is amazing. Yeah. Well, you're, you're amazing, so if he's outworking <laughs> you, wow, he must get a half hour sleep a night. Well, and, and yeah. he's oh. got, uh, you've got the value that, uh, that he gave you, right? So it's like, what are we giving our kids? Uh, right now, it's trophies yeah. and uh, right. free stuff, right? right? So it's yeah. like, right. why would they expect anything else? We received ethics. Yeah. 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 Ethics, pride, craftsmanship. Yes. Now, we, yeah. we all sound like cranky old geezers here, <laughs> you know, but, but, but you know, damn like, it, like, we're right. like, like we're down at the Moose Lodge and we're, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but dang, man, you well, know, e even from 10 years ago, it is amazing yeah, how our society ago. has changed just from a decade ago. It's, it's, we, we don't know who's a man, who's a woman and. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a different, it, there, there's just this unreal. whole different philosophy. And, and we were sort of back to it. We were talking about what caused all this. And uh, I think the educational structure that, that kids are getting beyond, I mean, even the informal education, which is sure. go learn how to get your ass kicked a few times. You know, right. Go figure out how to uh, fail. Go just to learn stuff. But uh, Well, we have um, no definitions anymore. Like you can say anything's anything and, you know, you know what, uh, 
green doesn't mean green and, you know, grass isn't grass. And, you know, everything is just up for grabs. And it's all based on perceptions and feelings and emotions. And it's like we're losing our scientific basis for a rational society where, you know, you measure something. Oh, that's, you know, 13 feet or, you know, this weighs 12 pounds or whatever. It, it's like, um, well, if, if it hurts my feelings, that can't be 12 pounds because anything over 10 pounds hurts my feelings. And so, yeah. so we'll just keep it at 10, right? So I mean, we'll just right. redefine reality based on how somebody needs to have a psychological adjustment. And we're doing that in every phase of our society. We're doing it on, on every level. And um, it's, it's, it's no wonder people can't find firmament and can't find something to hitch their wagon to because there's no permanency left. It's the churches are ruined. The schools are ruined. Uh, neighborhoods, you know, we're donutizing Columbus. People are abandoning, except for a little bit of short north action. People are fleeing. Colum- it's, it's like it's following the Cleveland-Cincinnati uh, model now. Yeah. Where there's just this donut hole in the middle where you'll have some hipster pioneer folks and you'll have poor folks. And then it's just uh, government institutions and insurance companies. And so we're losing our neighborhoods. We're losing our faith. We're losing all of the things that people grabbed onto. And it's accelerating. And um uh, yeah, and I think you're we're right. In serious I mean, trouble. In, in the, the sort of the parental metaphor, like you said, kids needed... um they need the structure and they need the guidance and they need that. And it's, and now I think people are looking uh, to the government for that. And yeah, that's the, for sure. This is a debate I get in all the time. Look, sure. Call Trump, whatever you will. I mean, the, the bottom line is I, I would not personally look for any uh, moral guidance from Donald Trump. I wouldn't look for moral guidance from uh, Barack Obama right. or anybody right. who happens to be the president. I would look for that somewhere else. Right. And I don't think our government, I mean, this is where I, this is the debate, so I'm exposing myself to right. really what it is. I, I don't think the government needs to dictate uh, our values to us. Right. I think quite the opposite, right? right. So it's right. like- uh, It should reflect our values, yeah, and, not, and, not give them to us. And, and so if, if somebody says, well, how can you support somebody who does X, Y, Z? It's like, well- can a guy do the job? Because other than that, I don't really give a crap. You know, right. It's like, I really don't. I mean, right. do, the, do the job, do whatever, because I'm not going to look there to do what I do, right? That's not right. an example for me. Exactly. Um, I, I learned that somewhere else. But anyway, yep. to, to to get out of the uh, ex- existential thought, what what now? What, what's your business now? I saw you doing oh, emails and other stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, I got into the, um, well, my hobby. We mentioned uh, Pontiac. My hobby has always been racing, rebuilding, um, just um, enjoying cars. So I have an antique uh, car business uh, that I run, uh, a parts business that I run uh, mail order. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, we make a number of different things uh, or have it made for us. And um, I say us, I'm, you know, using the grand us. It's just me. Uh, so, uh, I have, uh, you know, I have companies making things, uh, you know, using my own tooling and, 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 and that sort of thing. And, um, sending stuff around the world. So if somebody needs a widget for a restoration project, you can maybe provide. I have my own little niche, which your listeners out there with, you know, millions of lawyer talk (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yeah. So. 
Yeah. So, you know, you got to have a niche. You, you can't. Uh, well, you could, I guess, if you want to if you want to weigh into the Corvette or Mustang restoration business, you could do that. But, you know, there's, you know, 500 other people doing that, too. Yeah. So I, I found my own little niche. You're going to uh, say like Pinto? <laughs> there is a Pinto niche. I, I'm not doing the, the Pinto niche, but yeah, it's almost as bad. So, um, but yeah, so, so I've been doing that and I've had that company going since I was in uh, college, uh, 1979. So 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have, have you ever had a job working for somebody else? Yeah. Well, well, other right, than other than like law, I mean, well, that's right, a out contract, law, right, right out of law school, that, that datacom company. Oh, that's right. The datacom. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. So I did that for like three years. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, commission plus salary, you know, your typical kind of, uh, you know, salesman job. And I was just lucky enough. I stumbled into it, uh, a crypto uh, analyst from the Navy, who is a, a dear friend, a boyhood friend of mine. Um, knew I just did not want to be a lawyer and the journalism jobs were not paying. And uh, as graduation approached, he said, hey, man, <laughs> uh, data is booming. You know, like I should have bought Apple and Microsoft back then. We all should have. We'd all be billionaires. But that was during that phase. And so I just got a little piece of it there for like three years. And then what we were selling became a commodity just that fast. You know, it used to be you needed professional uh, help when you set up these networks. Now your teenager could do what we used to do. Yeah, like in their bedroom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's what's amazing yeah. about it. So we got a little gist here of Norm going gotta, on here. That's and, enough. And, and <laughs> no, that's not enough. It's really not because now, now we can start talking. Yeah. Now, 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 we, now we can get into the debates. Now we can, we can roll through with it. Well, I got to tell you, um, all I have are more questions, so I don't know that we can do all of that today. There's going to be more with Norm. You know what you need? You need a podcast here at 511 Studio C. You need your own podcast. My That's brothers have always said that. Yeah. Know, that you, you know, you could do Rush, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I'd probably get banned. You called me. One. You called me. I talked to you. You were fired up the other day. Like, I just got off a 610 WTVN. I had to lay into those boys. I did about the gas tank. <laughs> so I had a radio show when I was in high school. I went to a Jesuit Catholic high school in Cincinnati and uh, all boys high school. So I had a radio show for like uh, 10 weeks and then I got banned. <laughs> so, so awesome. yeah, yeah. So that, that, that closed off that avenue of my career. Well, but, we can open it back up. We're not, we're not going to yeah. get you banned here. There's no banning at the, at this the round table. Sure. Nope. Wow. A, yeah. lot of, a lot of pent up stories, guys. I don't know. Well, we got to hear, we still have to hear about Poland and some other, yeah. So there's oh, some boy. travel stories. So yeah, we got to hear all that. The special guest series continues. You're going to be back. I bet. And uh, we're going to do some more. Anyway, well, this is uh, Lawyer Talk, the special guest series here with Norm Murdoch, coming at you off the record, but on the air, at least until now.